Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. So y'all, uh, this is going to be such a dope conversation. My guest today is a creative, a coach, and co-conspirator. She also happens to be one of my CHJL, Coaching for Healing Justice and Liberation, siblings. I have with me today, Sayera. Sayera, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm so good. I'm so happy to see you and be with you. I'm so grateful for this time together. Thank you. Likewise. So I am going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Thank you for that question. I've been thinking about that for a long time since since I first listened to your podcast. I was like, oh, I'm going to get asked that. And, you know, my parts be like, oh, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't know. So there's lots of dialogue with my parts, kind of freaked out a little bit. And then I you know, the word that kept coming up was connection. And I was like, what does that mean to me? I was like, no connection. Like, that's it. That's it. Mm. And like, what that looks like is like, um, you know, I move through this world with an open heart and I connect with people sincerely. If that's like a two minute exchange, that's like a very transactional. I'll still be like, oh, hey, I love those here. Like sincere. I'm not gonna be all fake. I'm not gonna be fake, but I'll have a connection with people. And like, I love that I get to do that. And so, yeah, connection, people, please. Yeah. Yes, I, I have witnessed this to be true of you, and I love it. So let's maybe start by taking a journey backwards mm. and tell us a little bit about where this is rooted for you. And if you can point back to seasons of your life or any particular incidents that helped you really recognize that genuinely connecting with others was something that you were passionate about and felt uh, necessary for your existence. Yeah. Thank you for that. I should have anticipated that question. I'm like, I don't let me think about it. Let's go back. Let's think. Um, when you said seasons, I immediately thought of fall and I was like, yeah, I feel the most alive in October. <laughs> it's my time. Um, it's the best. It's, yeah. Uh, I agree. But, fall is my favorite. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. People be like, are you born in October? I'm like, no, but I love everybody born in October. I love some October. I, um, you know, I'm the youngest of four siblings. And I think, well, you know, I, when I heard you say that, when did I like you said the word necessary, like when it was necessary for me, when it became clear to me, right? It was, I think, like growing up as the youngest, right? I have two older sisters and an older brother. And I think I would always just like have to demand that I am heard as the young. And I'm also, uh, you know, the youngest. It's like we are used to getting our way and we will get our way. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think I would just like demand I needed to be heard and stuff. And I think at some point, I was much younger. I remember playing with some older kids, like cousin type kids. They're not like cousins, but you know, like aunties aren't really your aunties, mm -hmm. they're kids. I remember an, um, this person was being really mean to me. And I think I like lost it. I was like, you know what? I have feelings too. I must have been like, I don't know, eight, seven, something like that. And my my family still reminds me of that. They're like, I have feelings too. And I was like, yeah, I do. I do. And um, I 
I have an almost eight year old and I, and my kid yesterday was telling somebody, Oh, or swim coach, you know, I'm, I'm really sensitive, but sensitive people have a lot of power is what she said. And I was like, Oh my God, so much. Good job. That's it. That's it right there. But yeah. I think that, um, I, uh, need to connect with folks because I, that's the only way I know how to live. That's like all I remember, like how I remember, I don't know if that was like a turning point for me. I just remember like, I need to be heard. And part of me being heard means like to establish a connection with whomever I'm trying to connect with and be get and get heard from, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do know what you mean. Um, so a, qu- a curiosity that is emerging for me as you're talking about that is I feel like there are so many people who can relate to that. So I'm the youngest, but I'm so much the youngest that it was like I grew up as the only. Oh, mm-hmm. So there's something about being the youngest. Sure. I, I also recognize that my parents were in a different stage of life when they were raising me than they when they were raising and being parents to my or they've always been parents. Right. But raising my siblings. But there was something about my desire to connect and not having other people around to connect Two, similar age, for example, no Mm. siblings in the home, living on a block that didn't have a lot of children. So like also this need to connect, but only being around adults and all of that stuff. So that's one thing I thought of. But I'm really Mm. curious about the intersection of how you defined your need for connection and culture. Can you talk to us about culture? Mm. However you want to define that, that could be... It could be whatever, but can you talk to us about what identities that could be within the cultural spectrum of race, ethnicity, gender, gender experience, all of those things. Like as you were growing up, what role, now that you look back, what role did culture play in your ability to speak up and say, Mm. I have feelings too, I want to be heard and yeah just whatever comes up for you yeah thank you for that question I as I was listening to you ask it I just was transported back like to you know my earlier days so I was uh, raised in the Bay Area but born in Pakistan and my parents are Indian so it's complicated already right like half my family is in one place like you know my mom's family still in India dad's family's in Pakistan and Australia and other parts of you know like recent settler colonies and stuff and um you know we're all over the place but I think about culture, like being South Asian, raised here, but not born here and not speaking English. Like that wasn't, that's not my first language. It's not the, it's not like what I claim is my so-called mother tongue. <clears throat> I think about how women identified folk are uh, tend to be silenced. And um, I have a lot of rage around that. Mm. And it's a dignified rage. And I embrace that rage. Um, and so it just as like, people are like, oh, you're so positive and, you know, joyful. I'm like, I am. And I, I have, I also have rage and it's because of all these things. <laughs> so um, uh, I think that the, the need to connect and, and, and um, be heard, I think is a direct result of just sort of the, the cultural component. And I, I, I feel sensitive saying that. Like, you know, when folk that are like, I'll just say like, you know, like I can criticize my culture and I will accept critique and criticism of my culture from other BIPOC. I will not accept it from my folks. Mm-hmm. I won't do it. So like, you know, so I used to cover my hair for about five years. I'm, I'm Muslim. I was born Muslim, practicing Muslim. 
and I still am pretty observant, I think, and I, I'm a person of faith and connected. And um, when people start talking about hijab, <laughs> I'm like, all right, depends on who you are. I'm not sure if this is your conversation. I need you to back off. This is not your, you know what I mean? And so similarly, when people talk about like violence, I, I don't think like violence against women or women identified folks and gender non-conforming bodies and transgender folks, I don't think that's unique uh, to any particular culture. And it's pretty rampant here, right? Like, and, and the way it looks, like the, the way it manifests in my, it, like in South Asian, Indian, Pakistani culture, like of people who are raised here. So like way I see it here is, 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 is different, right? And the, there are lots of similarities. But anyway, all that to say is I, I think that my need to be heard is also um, in response to an attempt to be silenced. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to let that one sit in my body for a second. Um, I felt that wave across my chest shoulder area under my left arm like I I just Mm. I felt those words land and I'm very appreciative of your frame you said so many things one of the things that you brought up um, or that you said brought up something for me which is people are constantly talking about you being so positive and energetic and and you know I think if you go back to our cohort and we did a survey And we asked all 40 of us who are constantly together, name one word to describe Sayerda. It's going to be like energetic and positive and, you know, joyous. Those are the words. But what I really appreciate you talking about is the rage. Mm. Because I believe that we are folks, we humans, um, we're a species of capacity. And so the fact that you have such a high capacity for joy, optimism, positivity, energy also then helps me realize that you just have a high capacity Mm. and how intentional we have to be of what fills that capacity. So I am never willing to minimize the way someone shows up in the world as to a simple like, oh, they just are. When, mm. when, even when we are at our core, there's, there's intention that has to go to maintain such things in the culture that we live in, in the society that we live in to maintain mm-hmm. positivity and, and joyful energy. Mm. It, it feels intentional, like work mm-hmm. you have to do, but also that same capacity that holds that much of that is also a capacity to hold that much rage, that much mm. fear, that much sadness and how we can one dimensionalize people by how they show up in the world instead of realizing that. So for me, I have to be intentional. I I'm depthful and I'm um, I'm wordy, but I do feel like I'm wordy with purpose. I don't just use yeah. words to use words mm. and that I use my words to heal but my great capacity to use my words for heal to heal i also realize that that same capacity could be used to hurt mm, can you say more shonda yeah so i i'm really this is this is all new so it might sound like i've been thinking about this for years i am not it is new right now <laughs> but i, I think it. of it as like buckets right um 
some people navigate the world and we don't see a lot of kindness out of them. Maybe mm. there's a teaspoon of kindness that we see from them, right? And that might be all the capacity that they have for kindness. But I also feel like that teaspoon, like, or more of another way is you see people who are hateful and it feels like they got a huge bucket. Yeah. You got a bucket full of hate, right? Mm. But if you got a bucket full of hate, I am convinced that that whole bucket could also be used for kindness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So it's about capacity. Some people might not be kind, but they also might not be hateful as well. Right. They're they're along this neutral line because their capacity for any emotion is limited to whatever it's limited to, if that's mm-hmm. making sense. Yeah. You so know, it's yeah. it's just when that 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 helps me feel hopeful <laughs> for humanity. Because yeah. yeah. it's like, man, you can show up as this awful, hateful human being, buckets worth. But mm-hmm. if you have the capacity to be buckets worth of hateful, I truly do believe that you have the capacity to fill those buckets with something else. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, when you named, yeah, you know, people see me as this, but there's also a lot of rage there. That felt really real for me because sometimes it doesn't feel safe to be honest and genuine about all the complex things, the parts mm-hmm. and the emotions that are inside of us. And we learn to display whichever ones are going to get our needs met the most Mm -hmm. often, particularly if we don't grow up in safe places for us to be more genuine with the complexity of that. But so that felt rambling and all over the place, but it felt like I needed to externalize that because as it was coming up, I'm like, of course, there's probably a lot of rage in there because your capacity to hold these other things is so large. Mm. I'm not foolish enough to think that there isn't also a lot of other things that might be sometimes competing. Mm -hmm, to take mm -hmm. up that same space so anything come up for you in that yeah a lot did first I want to thank you I feel so honored to have like like been witness to this coming up for you like I think it's really beautiful I'm like yeah yeah a lot of that tracks it didn't feel rambly to me I'm like I hear you uh I I think of two things in particular I want to share in response to what you said um or to join in what you said really um I, I think about our cohort and how I went through a really tough moment with uh, my mom's health and she's doing much better now. Thank God. I'm like, oh, so grateful for that. And to be able to just um, experience all my feelings. I had a lot of sadness and fear. She was really sick and we weren't sure she was going to survive. And, um, you know, I had a deep dive when my, she was in the hospital and I had, you know, our weeklies. And so I felt like, okay, for those who don't, we, we Shonda and I were in the same coaching cohort. So we would have some like weekend retreats all day, all day, Friday, all day, Saturday. And then we'd have every Wednesday we'd have like what an hour and a half together. Oh, I missed that. So, um, um, you know, and we would do peer coaching. And in those moments I would just be like, oh, I remember once I had actually the mentorship, you know, the group coaching we also did remember I was doing that once. And I was like really on edge. My mom was in the hospital. I was like, yo, I don't know if I can coach anybody right now, but I obviously need some coaching. Like I was crying, you know? And I remember there's folk in our cohort that just like held me and they just held that space for me to just feel the depth of my sadness Mm -hmm. and to engage with that fear. And I remember our last day together and I was just like, as a cohort, and I was just like, I was afraid to feel like this in front of people because people connected my essence to joy and like this enthusiasm and energy that I bring. And so the way I move to the world is so different now on so many levels. And then this connects me to the point too, that that the story that I I was thinking about. So I was um, going to pick up a rental car and for work and um 
I saw the person and we're talking, we're chatting and, you know, I'm chatting. I'm just like engaging with, I'm like connecting with this human, right? Like sincerely and opening my heart and talking to this person. And this person was like super nice. He was like, oh, you just made my day. It was great to see. You. I was like, cool. Yeah, hurry. It's like, it came back to drop it off, like after the weekend. And he was like, I've just been, since I seen you, I've just been trying to match your, your level of joy in life. And, and I thought that was really kind. And I go, oh, hey, thanks so much. You know, I get sad too. I get sad just so you know, <laughs> like just wanted him to know that. I was like, y'all, like I'm happy. And like, also it's part of the human experience, you know? And I just wanted to like verbalize that. Like I, in large part for myself, I was like, also, dude, you should hear that. Like, it's not all happiness for me, man. <laughs> like, you know, like, anyway, yeah, just some things. Yeah, no, that I appreciate that. Um, I believe that when we are just genuinely ourselves, however we show up in the moment, if we can do the work to settle into the safety in our bodies that authenticity requires, we're always a gift. Mm. We're always a gift because I've really been sitting lately with this idea of reflection, reflections. Um, it started... Uh, this phrase that I came up with started when I was in a learning uh, space uh, in a mixed race learning space, right? These are all therapists and coaches learning virtually uh, from a good friend of mine and, and previous podcast guest, good friend of mine. She's teaching a course on relational privilege. Um, essentially the premise being that folks who work from a therapeutic or coaching healing space with couples oftentimes have this philosophy that couples need to be more intimate with one another, vulnerable with one another. Like those are two things that are essential to intimate relationships, intimacy, vulnerability. And what she's helping folks realize is for those who navigate the world in marginalized bodies, intimacy and vulnerability is a privilege often afforded to those who are not constantly in survival mode, who are not trying to constantly be on guard for their own safety be it physical emotion whatever that is so this notion of oh you just need to be more vulnerable or you know intimate that that that's 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 relational privilege so you know I highly recommend that you check out the work of Akila Riley Richardson um but anyway I'm in this mixed space and you know I am all for people showing up authentically asking questions or raising their own awarenesses from a space of curiosity. But when folks, particularly um, white appearing, therefore white privileged bodies show up and I don't know, make assertions and then are not willing to take the feedback from people who are actually living in those bodies, it is like rageful for me. And what I came to say is, whiteness and by whiteness i mean you know the inevitable the inevitable byproduct of the myth that is white supremacy 
and white body supremacy is that whiteness loves a house of glass, but it wants no mirrors. And so I've been sitting with what does it look to be able to look constantly looking through glass out at something else, but not being able to withstand looking in a mirror to see your reflection. And and that's made me think of reflections. Am I willing to be reflected? So when I sit in these spaces and I feel the rage coming up because a person is trying to deflect from their own privilege, their da 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 I have to sit and go, now where are the identities that you hold that hold power and are you doing the same? Am I doing that because I am cisgender, heterosexual, you know, English is my first language. I am an American, like all these different things. Am I, where can I sit and look at my reflection long enough to see where this is taking place, to not just sit in the position of injured, wounded, oppressed, hurt, done wrong, but can I use it as an opportunity as a reflection? And I believe that if we are genuinely walking around the world, we are a reflection of someone somewhere, some situation where people can look at us and see what it what we can reflect that internal experience. And then that gives permission to know that we are not alone in the human experience and that it is actually okay to be sad sometimes. So maybe the person you talked to was trying to harness your level of enthusiasm and joy because it was too painful to sit in sadness, but you simply saying, yeah, I get sad too. Now, at least you provided the, the concept for this person to go, this person really impacted me with their energy. Oh, and they're so complex that they feel this too. Maybe I can experience both. Wow. That was a lot. It was so beautiful. And I'm so grateful for everything you just shared. Like that identity piece is so important. And I'm so glad you named that because I understand that as a light-skinned brown person, I can move through the world differently and being cisgender, right? Like I think that my transgender family cannot (laughs) move through the world in the way that I can. And that is a privilege that I have, right? Just one of many. And I think for folks in in movement spaces, particularly BIPOC, um, it's sometimes hard. I mean, it's certainly hard for white folks and I'm like not trying to have that conversation because I'm like, yeah, we know. Um, To like recognize and name privilege. Like I remember as a younger organizer, it was hard for me. I was like, what do you mean? and, and, and then, you know, having worked with younger organizers and I'm not talking just like age, I'm talking like folks who are newer to organizing. It was, um, you know, it, it, people talk about the so-called depression Olympics and I'm like, you know, what's not helpful that that's not helpful to play that mm-hmm. game. Right. Um, and it's like, we all have power and we have privilege in different ways, like you said. Right. And it's like, well, once we accept that, right? Having privilege doesn't mean you haven't had hardships, right? Like no, no one's taken anything away from you. Okay. (laughs) Like, so your story is yours. That is, it's, you know, and like where, and and by story, I mean like history and lived experiences. I'm not like the the narrative, right? Because narratives can, can and deserve to be scrutinized and tweaked. Right. Mm -hmm. 
toward justice, like how that, how it makes sense. And, um, I think as a light skinned person who doesn't, who's not in a, like not in a black body and who's not indigenous, who's like a guest slash settler on occupied land. Like I have a great duty to follow black and indigenous leadership and movement spaces and do whatever I can within my capacity to support like land back initiatives and reparations and things like that. Like, and, you know, I'm being in philanthropy. So my day job is in philanthropy. I'm very grateful for it. And I, you know, I'm not under any illusion that uh, I'm going to revolutionize this field. We're working within broken. Well, I'm not going to say broken. We're working within systems that are working exactly how they're meant to. And they're not systems of justice. And if I, and if I can move dollars into communities to improve the material conditions of some folks, then like, I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to do that work. Right. Uh, And I get to work with some great people. But anyway, all that to say is like our, the the conversation around privilege and power. It's like, once we recognize where we have that power, then like, let's move from there. Let's, let's move from there. And let's like, let's, let's do it. Right. So I just think that's really critical. You know, I like to move through my life. I, I don't know another way of being with an open heart and connecting sincerely and having, if it's a two minute engagement with somebody or like a two hour, I want to engage sincerely with an open heart. And does that always play out in my favor? Nope. It certainly does not. Have I been burned? Absolutely. Have I experienced trauma from that? Yes. And do I continue to do that? Yes. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's some sort of diagnosable thing, but I, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing all right. <laughs> I appreciate that. And let's pause for a second around this conversation around privilege. Mm. Um, because I recently uh, was talking with a friend who was trying to, um, if I'm not mistaken, he was trying to finish a poem. Mm. And he, there was a word that he uh, he was trying to put before the word privilege. And I couldn't provide the word, but Shonda's brain works in analogy, metaphor, parable, and all that stuff. And mm. the what I came up with is, this is how I kind of look at privilege. I look at privilege like a $100 bill that someone has put inside of your pocket. Some people got the $100 bill put in their pocket, and they didn't know it was there. They didn't mm-hmm. ask for it. They didn't request it. They didn't even necessarily know it was there, right? But when time comes to need, they got it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, they they mm-hmm. they have this thing. But that $100 bill being put in your, even if you go like, I don't want it. No, no, I don't want the money. Keep the, I don't want the money. Even if you try to arm wrestle somebody out of putting that $100 bill in your pocket, it still gets put in there. Mm. And so I hear people when they talk about privilege, like I didn't ask for this, but that's not the point. You still not have the it. Point. You still got you still it. Have it you, right. Mm-hmm. And and the difference is now let's imagine that hundred dollar gets put in, put in some people's pockets and not in other people's pockets. But then it's not just about spending because people then think that, um, well, the privilege is only if you choose to pull out that $100 bill and say, I am going to use this as currency. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to pay for something with this $100 bill. No, now we have to envision that we live in a society that this $100 bill, for example, has some kind of microchipping, right? And with this $100 bill that's in your pocket, you either get access to certain places or denied 
certain mm-hmm. places. So as you walk through this door, nothing you had to do. You have this hundred dollar bill in your pocket, whether you know it's there or not, whether you ask for it or not, whether you tried to stop somebody from putting it there or not, you get to go through that door because okay. there's something attached to this thing that's in your pocket mm-hmm. that says you get to be here. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone else gets ready to walk through and they don't have it mm-hmm. in their pocket. Alarm goes off. But <laughs> yep, all these things. What are you doing here? Or the door is right. just shut. Mm-hmm. So the person who has it in their pocket can walk through and say, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't, I'm I just walked through the door. That's the point. That's mm-hmm. the point of privilege. When you just get to walk through the door. So for me, privilege is all is not as much about. What you get is in regards to um, good things, quote unquote, is yeah, like as a mortgage or whatever. Don't get <laughs> mm. because you have it. You don't get the scrutiny. Oh, I see. You don't yeah. get the questioning. You don't get the you don't get the um, the doubt that you belong. Right. So Oof. it is. It is this. It's an access point to humanity. Mm. Verse now. Along with that comes other things, whether we're talking about mortgages and things like that. But I, it was, and, and again, it's still a working theory. Maybe I'll tweak it, but I think people get it, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. You know, that there are certain things. So I make myself sit and really consciously think about the areas in which I have privilege, just mm. so I'm not sitting stewing in the areas that I don't. In, mm. in living in a fat black woman's body, I could sit and harp on all the things that I'm denied, right? But when I get ready to go to the bathroom when I'm in public, I don't think twice about it. I think about things like, is it going to be clean? Mm. How many people are in line? I don't think about whether or not there is someone watching me go, critiquing which one I should go in, and then having the nerve to actually say something if I go into one they don't think I should go in. When I am out... And we're having a date day because we don't get date nights. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? At no point do I ever, ever consider whether or not my relationship with my partner is going to be a source of debate, question, mm. scrutiny, Danger. period. Mm. I don't I don't think about it. I don't consider it. Right. Mm-hmm. When I go somewhere and I know I need to have a conversation with someone I didn't come with, I never think about how my accent or my words are going to come out and whether they're going to judge me because this is clearly my mother tongue, as you put mm-hmm. it. So I have to remind myself that there are doors that I'm walking through because I have several hundred dollars in my pockets mm-hmm. that I didn't ask for. And I'm not being stopped or questioned or scrutinized as I walk through those doors. And for me, that feels equally necessary in this work of justice for me to recognize where I'm geolocated across all of my identities instead of fixating and harping on the ones where I'm being denied. Because then I feel like that that helps me when I when I seek to have conversations with other people about their privilege, because it's not always easy. Sometimes defensiveness does want to raise up. I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, uh, you know what I mean? And it's empathy that I feel I'm building. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, A lot of things come to mind when I'm listening to you. It's a, this is how it is when we're together. Um, I, I really think it's interesting, the framing around some, that what you don't have, right? Like this, this, this analogy, this example that you're using. And I think to add to that, what you don't have, right? This, the, the privilege piece would be that cumulative impact. 
right? Kidney problems from because you don't have a bathroom to go to huh. and you have to hold mm-hmm. like stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? Like the cumulative impact of living in different bodies and um, you know, a, moving through the world, looking a certain kind of way. Um, and you know, I, I think about privilege also. There's a couple of I feel like there's some words that we use a lot in movement spaces, words like harm and words like privilege, not just those two, but those I feel like I, I hear them a lot. Um, and they're used a lot to shame people, not the harm piece, the harm. I think for me, the harm piece comes up when I think about harm versus hurt. And I think that oftentimes I just personally have been in spaces relatively recently where I heard harm a lot. And I was like, okay, can we unpack that a little bit? Um, and, and they're both like, I mean, I'm not like discounting, right. I'm like, they're very like philanthropy has caused harm and continues to cause harm. Yes. Right. For example. Um, but, you know, partic- particular things, I'm just thinking about recent experiences with organizers and stuff. And I'm just like, um, the piece around privilege, I'm keen to define, like, when I'm, t- when I, use, when I'm, when we're talking about privilege, right? It's like, what do we, what do we mean when we say that? And I, what I mean when I say that is unearned advantage, unearned advantage. And um, there are times where I have an advantage where I feel like it was earned. Like, I bust my ass and, you know what I mean? So then I'll be like, I have the earned advantage of blah, blah, blah. So I'll name it like that. Because, um, you know, I get sensitive when people come at me talking about privilege. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, I know. And then I'm like, oh, well, where's that part? Oh, defensive part's coming up. Defensive part's coming up, right? And so it's like, because I'm engaging with my inner world in such a profoundly different way since our since our coaching cohort and like, you know, all the beautiful transformative learnings, I am better able to move with these understandings around like what, what it means to have the kinds of privilege that I have. And and how is that different than, than an advantage that I, you know, like really worked hard to have, you know, in some kind of way and like advantage over whom, like, what are we talking about? You know, I do. And what's so real as you were talking, it made me think about the role of, well, colonization, but specifically capitalism within these structures, particularly capitalism. Embedded in the structure is earning, earning, earning. So things are acquired through earning, which is real, real interesting when it started from things that were stolen. But that's a different subject, right? So earn, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, earn it, you earn it. So on one hand, I can have empathy for the person who is sitting in an identity that holds a dominant narrative and going, I had to work for that. And they're right. Because under this system, you got to earn everything, including human rights. So I think we're having... People think we're having the same conversation and we're not. You earning the money, even listen to this. How do you earn a living? Earn a living. Ew. My, my body <sighs> viscerally responds, responds mm-hmm. to a system that says you have to earn the right to live. Yeah. So when folks are resistant to this idea of privilege, part of me gets it because you've, we've been conditioned to believe 
We have to earn everything. And those who don't have is simply because they didn't earn. Mm, mm -hmm, mm, Clearly, mm. I don't agree, but it tracks. Because for me, one of the things I try to do before jumping on, I don't agree with you, is I really am intrigued. How did you get here? Yeah. (laughs) I want to follow the, how did you get here? And for so many people, it's a logical a logical state of experiences and knowledgings and knowings that got them to the conclusion that they drew oftentimes Mm -hmm. based on very false information. So we're also, you know, living under a system that chooses its words very carefully, Mm -hmm. right? It tells its story very carefully. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't use accurate language to what happened. It uses, you know, less, less, um, well, less accurate and what they perceive to be more flowery language. So when I, when I read that there was a, a textbook somewhere in the South for kids around fourth grade that called enslaved people workers, well, workers carries a very different connotation. And so if you grow up being taught that there are a bunch of workers who were, I don't know, unhappy with their work conditions, that's very different than they were stolen human beings who were commodified and enslaved. There's a, they're, they're, <laughs> those feel a little different in my body. And so when people arrive to where they arrive, I do have a genuine curiosity of how did you arrive there? And maybe, you know, maybe it's foolish of me, but I believe with accurate words, we can help people go. Now let's use these words based on the reality of what happened. And can, do you, can you, can you arrive at the same conclusion now that you actually have the full story? Um, as a person who sits with people, whether through therapy or coaching and working with relationships, so much conflict happens because of the misinterpretation of words. And when we can correct the words, all of a sudden we give possibility for new interpretations, new meanings, new relationships to the stories and narratives we've been given. And that feels very, very important to me. Yes, I've been vocalizing the whole time. I was on, like, mm, okay, yes, right there. Yeah, yes. First, I want to thank you for lifting that piece up around earned versus unearned. And it actually makes me want to think about, you know, how I talk about privilege because I would, you know, I would define it as unearned advantage, but now I'm, I'm rethinking that. Um, and so thank you because capitalism and I think class, you know, I think that cuts through everything, all the identities, like that is something omnipresent and that will, you know, it's like the decline of humanity. It's like so anti-human, anti-life really more than human life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just thinking about that. And I want to thank you for lifting that up because, you know, I might, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect more on what, what I mean by privilege and what that means to me and what uh, the, the earning piece of it too. It's like, actually we are, we are worthy because we exist period. Full stop. Yep, exactly. And so I, you know, listening to you and you 
dropping all that beautiful wisdom has has made me pause and I'm like, oh, you know what? I think about think about that. <laughs> um yeah, no, and I, you know, the piece around conflict too and like misunderstanding and misinterpreting words, I feel like, yeah, for sure. And I and another piece to that also is that we aren't equipped. We're not we're not, we don't practice conflict well. You know what I mean? And I think that we really could use to do that. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. I would I facilitate folks. I'm like also a facilitator, a coach, as you know. And so I've facilitated like intercultural conflict styles, like workshops on like how to engage intercultural, like, you know, things like that. And um, I always start like, I'm like, listen, I don't have it figured out. I just want you all to know, like, I might be the facilitator here. And I'll tell you what, I don't engage in conflict beautifully all the time either. Sometimes I do it well. And, you know, talk to me when I'm hungry and I'm <laughs> have a conflict with my partner and we'll see how that how well that goes to be like oh you're facilitating this <laughs> you know what I mean? like so no um, that's so real and it's it, it's it's the notion of power or not the mm-hmm. notion the reality of power you mm-hmm. know when I think about you know you said that I don't engage in conflict beautifully sometimes I had to sit and I realized I spent a lot of my life avoiding conflict um and my avoidance looked like shape-shifting mm-hmm. so I would just I learned to either Mm, to be honest, I was never outright like, uh, I'm going to do something the opposite of myself, but it was more like, I'll just stay quiet in this area. If I don't agree, I just won't say anything. Um, but con- it's interesting when we talk about conflict because power plays. We live in so many systems where can you, what does conflict look like with power? Like, I guess it would still be called conflict, but I I think about depending on how uh, the parent-child relationship goes, there's, I've heard a lot of parents say, um, you know, I'm not about to argue with you. That's what they're saying to their child. I'm not about to argue with you. And it's like, is it an argue? Define argument as I'm working with the parent-child, you know, you know, I argue with my, you know, I'm not going to argue with my child. Well, how are you defining argument? And sometimes argument is simply the other person is voicing something. Because you're in a position of power, you're calling something conflict when it's just an exchange of ideas, even if it comes passionately or through a set of emotions or whatever. And so there's something about like that power dynamic when it's like, you know, I'm not going to argue, you know, I can't go in there and argue with my boss. And I'm like, who's asking you to argue with your boss? I'm asking you to tell them what you need. So yeah. there is this thing around like conflict, but power, mm. like how power plays a part in the exchange of ideas. And mm. when it gets mm-hmm. called conflict, because there's a power differential. Now, obviously, there can be conflict between people who share equal power yeah. or a lack power. You know, anyway, so that just came to me. No, I don't even know if there's a question there. It's, it's, it's yeah. just an interesting thing. Yeah, no, I like that interesting thing. I think it's a beautiful musing. And I think that the the question around power is always relevant, always. And um, I also think that like conflict, like disagreement doesn't necessarily have to equate conflict. But I think often we we, we also don't know how to disagree well. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? There's, there's like fundamental basics, right? I'm like, <laughs> there are things that are non-negotiables, right? Like, you know, and, um, yeah, like, you know, I, it's interesting when you're talking about the argument piece, because I just recently got appointed, um, 
I got appointed by the governor to serve on this judicial commission, judicial performance commission. Okay. It's very new to me. And it's fascinating to watch. I mean, the way, so we are responsible as a commissioner. I'm responsible with this commission to, um, you know, the blue books that you get. And it's like, Hey, when it's an election year, it's like, Hey, should this judge be retained? Yes. No. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm always like, I don't know. I'm calling my lawyer friends. I'm like, yeah, what do you know about this? Like, what? Who? I don't know. It's always that section where I'm like, I have no idea, dude. Now I know because the commission writes those little blurbs about the judges. And to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not about to long for polite respectability politics by any means, but to see how these folks in the judicial system talk and the way they talk about, you know, the summary of facts and the arguments and the da 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 da. It's like there is no is presented in the most dispassionate ways possible. And I'm like, so the opposite, you know me, like the way I'm like, my (laughs) conflict style is very emotive. Like, I'm like, I care about emotion. I think it's totally like, you know, I'm like, this is important to me. Tell me you're feeling things because I'm feeling things, you know? Uh And I'm like, just watching. I'm like, you just said something completely like against this other, like whatever. Like, and I'm just like, nobody's having any emotions or like show like this is fascinating like it's just wild to me it's like a whole different world and I like really I'm engaging with awe like I'm learning so much and I'm like wow we I could what's that expression I get English expressions wrong all the time I could use a page from their playbook did I get that right yeah 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 yeah. Word, (laughs) word, word yeah for real though like I'm like wow but like you know the notion of argument okay what are your closing arguments what you got what do you what do you got here it's like point counterpoint. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, let's argue. Let's go. Let's talk about it. <laughs> like, it's just like a comfort, like make your point, make your point. It's just fascinating to me. It, it, yeah, it, it seems wild. <laughs> yeah. Really like, you know, and I'll, I'll be like, oh, I'm already feeling like judgment around something because of their position. And I'll be like, oh, wow. Very impressed by this person. Amazing. Just the way you like presented all the things. It's just fascinating to me. I'm like, wow. What? Yeah. We don't do neutrality or harmony well as in in these cultures and our culture under these systems and so sometimes I've found that I think um, I don't want to say a lack of emotion but neutrality Mm. can feel dangerous for some people oh I mean I don't I'm not suggesting we do neutrality I don't yeah oh no no I'm I'm not trying to play Switzerland by any means yeah but even in a moment so a couple of things have come up for me recently one is um you you might have heard someone say this like oh I learned this thing about this person and now it makes me look at them different right Uh, have you heard that um yes and in that moment as you were saying those words I'm having such deja vu which is so interesting right now I'm like did we have a have a dream about this moment sorry I know it's like no it's okay Jay always says it it means you're on the right path if you get a deja vu I'm interpretation. I like it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I don't, right. this is really new for me. So I'm pretty sure we didn't have this conversation yet. Okay. All right. <laughs> but it'll be like, Oh, now that I know this about this person, I look at them differently. And I've said that before. I've had that perspective. And then I just literally sat on my back, back porch yesterday and had to think, but why am I looking at them anyway? Oh, right. Okay. So it's like, mm. I am learning the necessary art of minding my own business. Oh, Okay. And it is interesting because I I do think whether we're talking movement, workers, healing, healers, the the overlap between the two, sometimes I think we conflate our commitment to 
justice, healing, liberation, and all that mm. with the need to be up in everybody's business. Mm. And I am learning to separate the two. You're right. That new information I got about that person could cause me to look at them different. But why am I looking at them anyway? Mm. You, I'm, I'm, because the longer I'm looking at them, the, the more I'm not looking at something I probably should be looking Ooh, at. Okay. And this comes yeah. back to I'm looking out the window instead of looking in the mirror. Mm. And and it's just, you know, for me, it's been helpful. By oh. no means have I perfected this thing. Because we are talking about a person, Shonda, who is always up in somebody's business. Always. When I am out in public, I am just constantly aware of what's happening around me, right? Um nosy was a word used growing up i would always say i don't know that i'm being nosy but i am being observant yeah yeah Um, i'm like what's wrong with well i'm like i'm trying to find an issue here i'm like what's yeah well and and it is until (laughs) again i can be sitting at a dinner table talking to someone but i'm so aware of what's going on i'm not even present with the person i'm with so there comes Mm -hmm. a point where i gotta learn to mind my own business now that mm. doesn't mean ignore, turn a blind eye. It just means it. So I'm I'm working on that. I'll continue yeah. to talk about it as I go and learn mm. more. But another thing that came up for me is sometimes, like last night, <clears throat> the the last couple of days, I was feeling really heavy. I was mm. feeling really tight, and there was no incident or anything that had happened that could point to what this was. So I did one of the things that I know to do. And I said, I don't need to find words. Let me just give outlet. So I grabbed some markers and a sketchbook that my my girls got me for Mother's Day. And, and to create. No intention, no whatever. And it ended up being this really creative, pretty, but interesting lines of colors that intersected and overlapped. And I realized that's what felt was all in there. Then mm. words came. And I started to write down, well, what's in me? And all of a sudden, I just realized that I feel really heavy with a lot of things. Racism, transphobia, homophobia, ableism, ageism, Mm -hmm. raising my kids and not extinguishing their light, continuing to follow my purpose. I just start writing all of these things in the gaps. And I realized, oh, girl, that's a lot. That's, Mm -hmm. That's why you were feeling that way. And Mm -hmm. when I look at each one of the words could take generations of folks to dismantle. And that felt overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. That's just one. And it's so overwhelming. So I, what I realized is I'll sometimes use the, the phrase, um, for example, um, this system needs, so capitalism needs competition to feed it. Right. That's right. It has to have competition to feed itself. And I'll use that term. So then I started to think, how can I starve the system? One thought, one belief, one one choice at a time. What can I do to starve the system? One thought, one belief, one decision at a time. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it started to feel manageable. Mm. That capacity started to, I started breathing better. I was able to like laugh a little bit with my partner because I realized that, you know, sometimes it felt like I was riding a bull, being thrown off, trying to 
tame this the system or whatever but then I thought like one 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 choice point at a time can I think of am I feeding this oppressive system or am I not mm-hmm. and that feels good to me because when I'm not minding my business I get overwhelmed because not minding my business isn't often to look at a person and judge them I see their pain I see their hurt Mm. And then I absorb it. Ah, the and so minding my business to clarify isn't about, again, turning a blind eye or saying I don't care about people. Mm. It's just recognizing that when I'm seeing their hurt, then I start going, well, how how am I going to, you know, do this? One of the best examples of this I can give is, at one point several years ago, Jay and I went to um, an Indiana Fever basketball game, which is the WNBA team in Indiana. Thank you. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so WNBA team um, closest to our geographical location, we went to the game. Now, what I know, because in my proximity to Jay, he's a big sports guy. He loves basketball, period. And he loves empowering, supporting women. So he's not one of those people who claims to really love basketball, but won't watch women's sports or watch Mm. women's basketball. He actually is very skeptical of people like that. Um, Because if you really love the game, they play a great game. So anyway, there is a lot of energy and things around college women's basketball. Mm. So we get to this WNBA game. And when I say it was so sparsely attended, it it was like hurtful like I'm Mm. sitting there and we had we had been given tickets from my mentor who has really great season ticket seats right so we like right behind the team you know and and I'm just looking around like but I've also been to an Indiana Pacers game and that's what is that that's okay that's the NBA so men playing and even though the team was not good the, the the stadium was filled And so Mm -hmm. here we are. And I just remember being like, oh, my God. So what are we going to do? How are we going to help the attendance of the WNBA? And then Mm -hmm. I just had to go like, girl, girl, I I had attached on. I saw a need or a problem. How I'm going to fix it. And I had to in that moment go, Shonda, buy more tickets, attend more games. You can do your one part. But my mind was going like, okay, what do we need to do? And if I Mm -hmm. do that with everything that I look at, that's how I get to those spaces where I feel so overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. When yeah. I settle into sometimes my role isn't to fix, it's to bear witness, it's to reflect, mm. it's to help people understand that it really is an issue and it's okay to feel how you feel about it. Mm. I relieve myself of the pressure that Shonda got to go, go, go be savior, right? Got to go be the fixer and changer of everything. And it mm. goes, how do I starve the system? one thing at a time and so anyway it Mm. feels it feels it felt a little more connected um to my my true essence right Mm. so coming back to your labor of love of connecting Mm. what does that look like in your everyday life how you connecting with folks yeah thank you for all of that I think that's so that's really resonating with me because I feel overwhelmed and I manage my overwhelm. It's real, right? So it's like, it's like, how do we starve that system? One connection at a time. For me, it's like, you know, the system thrives on systems, uh, right? By design, right? Like the patriarchy, you just sort of like the patriarchal, like the expression right there that you just shared in that example. Like, I'm like, yep, you know, and like just the the sense of, 
isolation, scarcity, those types of things that are so counter to life. You know, I, I try to, I mean, I will say COVID, COVID fucked me up pretty good. Like, I mean, I emerged from uh, recently, like I think a couple of weeks ago from like a pandemic onset agoraphobia, like, and it was very counter to my nature. I was like, I'm not well. And I was doing all the things, right? Coaching, therapy, getting all the things. But I will say COVID aside, which also people talk about COVID like it was past tense. I have a major, major fucking problem with that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times people say, well, you know, now that COVID's behind us. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so ableist. Like I can't, I cannot. And I just get like, you know, the hairs on my, the back of my neck that like I get all like my posture, like, and I get, just get angry. Right. I'm like, no, dude, you're whack. Um, but every, okay. So the connection, yeah. Starve the system one connection at a time. What does that look like for me? Yeah, it, it can look a myriad of ways. I, I think um, it's every sort of every sort of interaction I have. I, I try not to make it transactional, even if it's by nature transactional, right? So like the example with the, the rental car place or, you know, um, you are networking or going to a conference or whatever, or like I'm going through, I... Um, I'm thinking about like, just like the transactional pieces where I'm like, this could be such a superficial interaction with this person. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to look at them. Certain things that I started doing, like when I, like, since I got pregnant, so my kid's almost eight, but like, I remember when I was pregnant, I would say things out loud. Like I'm not in a rush. It's okay. I'm not in a rush. Even if I were feeling rushed, because I wanted to verbalize that. I was like, I want the fetus to hear it. I want this person to hear it. I want to put it, those vibrations in the universe. Mm. So that like, so that I can internalize that, even if I'm not feeling like that. And so I continue that to this day, but like, I'm not in a rush. None of this, nothing right now is urgent for me. And that's not to say that there aren't urgent. Yes. Climate like that. There are very urgent things that are impacting people's lives and our planet. And every, like, yes, that exists. That's real. But in my world, I don't want to move at the pace of white supremacy. So I'm trying real hard <laughs> to, to like verbalize that, to normalize that, yes. to in- internalize it. Right. Those kinds of things. Um, and so aside from like the transactional pieces that I tried to make less transactional, more meaningful, I will say open heart connection, um, looks a lot like vulnerability, Shonda, you know? Um, and I think, again, I think like uh, some of my seen identities and unseen, I think like lend me this privilege where I I can be vulnerable in a way that like my kin can't. (laughs) And, um, I recognize that. And I think like part of I'm thinking a lot about like what leadership means outside of this like white supremacist corporate context. And I, for me, like, you know, the folks that like I have really appreciated as leaders are those who are like vulnerable. And, and I think that that part of that is around like the, like not being afraid to admit when you make a mistake or like when you don't know something, we all step in it. Right. And we're going to do that. And that doesn't need to escalate into conflict and conflict like, escalating to a conflict. Isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. There's that quote, I think it was from a Ghanaian spiritual leader on conflict being the essence of the relationship wanting to deepen. Mm. Right. And, and that's, I think that's very true. If the relationship is is such that <laughs> that should be the case. Right. And if it's not, if it's like, you know, you know, sometimes you don't have to save all your relationships. I'm trying to be really mindful of like my capacity and um, wanting to go deeper where I want. And that doesn't mean that like, I can't have a, like, mm, I was about to say authentic, but I think that word is rife with issues. Um, I can't have a, like a, a sincere, doesn't mean I can't have a sincere connection with everybody who I 
engage with. Now, now, if it's someone wearing a red hat, carrying a certain kind of flag, yeah, I'm not, I'm going to choose not to go there. I'm like, you know, I'm not, I don't need to have that engagement with you. I, I live in a currently what's called semi-rural place. Um, and, you know, my, I joke that my neighbors are cornfields and fracking rigs, but it's actually very true. You look out the window, I'm like, all right, here, here they are. And during election season, I'll tell you what kinds of flags went up and I was like, not feeling safe. <laughs> you know, and I know yeah. my neighbors are armed to the teeth and I'm like, not trying to, I'm not trying to go there. And so how do I connect with my neighbors? Right. I'll be like, Hey, I made some cookies. You want some cookies? You know, I'm just engaging on a neighborly level. Mm -hmm. And so conversations around like, we keep a safe type of thing. And like, let's look out for our neighbors are hard for me. Cause I'm like, actually it's my neighbors that I'm scared of. Yeah. Word. <laughs> yeah. No, so, that's so yeah. real. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of, I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, that's sort of what it looks like. No, you answered beautifully. And I appreciate that. This quote um that you brought up from the Ghanaian spiritual leader it's conflict as the essence of the relationship wanting to deepen Ooh. yeah I may have gotten it I'm asking to deepen wanting to deepen yeah beautiful. well beautiful yeah it's it's beautiful I I'm allowing that to settle in my body and um as we get ready to start closing because I say it often but I mean it we could talk forever <laughs> um it it made me think of some recent conversations I've been having with folks around exactly what you're saying, like how to connect with others in meaningful ways, sincere connections, mm -hmm. and the use of language to do that. And I've invited um, myself and a few people that I've been holding a soul hug with, soul hugs with, mm -hmm. to consider language in our conversational language and when we ask questions. And mm -hmm. inviting people to sit with Considering and practicing starving the systems one question at a time. And I'll give you an example of what or what made me think of it in some examples. I was reading this thing online. I think I was on Facebook or something. And this is a paraphrase. I can't give credit. I don't know who it was, but I just saw this story of a person who said, you know, they were at a graduation party and people kept coming up to the student asking what what college he was going to. And this student was taking a gap year, right? So already your facial expressions, like regardless, it's yeah, it's oof. such it's such a the question in and of itself is so limiting. Like it makes so many mm. assumptions. What college are you going to? It's so and, anxiety provoking too. Sorry to interrupt. Oh like, I, I remember those moments. So what are you gonna do? I'm like, don't ask me. I got a degree in sociology. I don't know what to do. I'm stressed <laughs> out. You know <laughs> what college are you going to? Oof. You know. And so she said she watched the student deflate, like having to explain. Oh. And then she watched someone come up to the student and ask, are you doing anything after graduation that's going to bring you joy? Oh, yes. And watch this student perk up, right? So it got me to thinking about my intentionality around what am I asking? Like how, how often we make assumptions, right? Some of the ones we talk about more often is not going up to a person, you know, example, I, I answer my door and someone comes and says, oh, is, is your husband available? Oh. Who said I got one of those? Right. right. You know, right. or seeing a pregnant person, seeing a person and saying, you know, are you when are you asking a couple? When are you going to have kids or, uh, you know, seeing a person? which I, So so those kind of get talked about. Or but like, we, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. You're like, that's so boring. You're such a boring person for asking me that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, people well, does in, that. In, in, in our culture, like that's that's Everybody how this does. this conversation furthered is yes. the person who um does not work due to a chronic illness mm. 
goes to places and one of the first things that people ask is what do you do for a living right Uh, and so I'm saying for Uh. me I might ask a question like oh so how do you spend your time or what's bringing you joy that doesn't presume that somebody works in order to do that you know or work doesn't look like whatever so can if a person Mm. is going like okay I'm intrigued by this like all right like let can you ask a question that is the most inclusive you can make it not assuming that anyone is going to fit the narrative you have for them in your head how Mm. do we and what do you really want to know which is why though I am an extrovert I hate small talk Mm -hmm. because I'm a mermaid and I dwell in the depths of the sea Mm. so I and I was telling this group I said in my coaching cohort we spent nine months together and I still can't tell you where most people live <laughs> geographically. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. What no huh? clue. What, <laughs> what do they do to actually make money? I have no idea these things about them. Though right. you ask me deepest fears, what parts come up for them when blah, blah, blah. Right. Oh, I got you. Like, oh, I know those parts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when we go in, I think part of it is, you know, waste, W-A-I-S-T. Why am I saying this? Like mm-hmm. you're asking the question, is it just because we've been conditioned to have that? So what do you really want to know? Right. You know, asking someone who's 60 years old, what high school they went to. Mm-hmm. It happens here a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a thing. Oh, what high school did you go to? Um, well, now that I'm 40 years past high school, how's that relevant to the human that I am right now? You know, what do mm-hmm. we really want to know? And can we, I believe that is starving the system one question at a time. How can I ask a question in a way that either gets to the heart of what I want to know? How do you spend your time? What brings you joy? Or or maybe just not making assumptions in my questioning that would have someone then have to, quote unquote, out themselves as other. Because that's essentially mm. what it does. That's right. It creates right. an opportunity for someone to have to out themselves as outside of the dominant narrative. What if we created a space where your narrative is welcome, whatever it is. So let me ask a question that allows you the space to tell me who you are instead of me making assumptions based on what I can see and what I've, what I've assumed. So. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yes. With the small talk piece too. I'm like, how do I not say ever? What do you do? Cause I'm like, <laughs> what excites you? What are you excited about right now? This moment? Uh-huh. Like, is there something, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. So, Sayara, is there anything that I didn't ask, we didn't talk about, or we didn't touch on that you were really hoping that you wanted to talk about, or are there any parting words you have for the listeners? Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't, I I had no expectations. So I don't know if there was anything that you didn't ask. Cause I'm like, yeah, we had a great conversation. We could do this all day. I love it. Um, (laughs) And if I'm being totally transparent for, like I just want to be forthcoming. I was like, oh, I get to spend an hour with Shonda. Yeah. I'll do the podcast. Yeah. I wish (laughs) I miss Shonda. So yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Sounds great. I love you so much. Um, No, I mean, I feel like, you know, this is a lovely conversation and I appreciate your time and, and the wisdom you've shared here and, the, the points that I'm going to reflect on further. And I just feel so grateful to just be in your orbit that we share an orbit in that we can like. We do share an orbit and it has likewise been so great 
So if folks want to reach out to you, if they're interested, you know, we didn't even get to, because again, this is how we roll. I guess we should come <laughs> slightly back up to the surface to say, hey, yes. Sayana does coaching. Do. <laughs> she does I facilitation. Do. She does these things. So whether yes. you are hearing that and you're like, oh, yes, I I want the service for myself, for my organization, or maybe you just want to reach out and connect. How can people find you and get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think my Instagram is probably the best bet you could DM me. So it's Saira, S-A-I-R-A 303. Um, that's just what they gave me back in the day, 303, like being my area code. So yeah, S-A-I-R-A 303 um, would be my Instagram. That And like, that's probably the best because I'm like, I don't know, email. I don't know, man. Um, I hear so, it. <laughs> I'm like, will no. definitely have that in the show notes. Um, I am so grateful to you, sibling, for taking time out, wanting to spend this time with me and just being such a gracious and generous conversationalist and just bringing your authentic joy, rage, and all mm. of you to the present moment. Um, your gift to me, your gift to everyone who encounters you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Yes. As usual, y'all. My people, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, my producer, Trey Angel, who provides the music. I want to thank them for always having my back. Um, you, my listeners, thank you for tuning in. few reminders. Um, I'm on all the social media. Engage with me there. I like it. Our new platform now allows you to engage with me directly, If you're, particularly if you're listening on Spotify. Uh, to be truthful, like 93% of y'all listen on Apple. <laughs> As a person who does not have a single Apple product, cool. But if you happen to be listening on Spotify, there is now a section where you can say, hey, I think the question is generally, what did you think of this episode? Would love to hear from you. Um, it can be kind of lonely, y'all. Like I'm in a booth and I get to engage with, with my guests, but I just know that I desire to be connected with as many of you one time, all the time, faithful listeners. So wanted to throw that out there. My Patreon, there's just not enough people on my Patreon. And I don't mean that from the not enough people supporting me perspective. I mean, not enough people getting the dope content that I put out month after month. So if you're kind of like, hey, you're not trying to get into regular coaching or whatever with me, Patreon is a great way to get this content and community because um, at our top tier, which is only $33.33 a month, we meet every other month. So consider that if you haven't already, please go ahead and give us that five-star rating. If you have the capacity to write a review, share the podcast with your loved ones and friends. Until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>